You're listening to The Lively Show, episode number one. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the first episode of The Lively Show. I'm so excited to be sharing my first episode with you today. I have been working on this for many months behind the scenes, and I'm so proud of what has become The Lively Show over the last few months. I've got some exciting episodes coming up, as well as an awesome interview today with Erin Lochner. Erin Lochner is best known for her blog, designformankind.com, as well as Clementine Daily, her newest project, which is an online platform, which is really incredible. In our interview today, I talk with Erin about how she got started with her blogging career and how it became so prolific, as well as where she draws the line between public and private life online, which I think is an interesting topic, no matter whether you have a blog or not. I think that her perspective on that topic is really helpful. She also talks about how she is struggling and what challenges she's facing with Clementine Daly, which I think is a really awesome insight that a lot of people would love to know, you know, someone who's so successful, you know, what is she working on? What is she learning in her own career right now? We also talk about how she balances work, marriage, and motherhood. And she has this really awesome tip about the golden hours, which has really been insightful for me um, in my own life and really helps me to understand how I might be able to balance having a child in the future. But it does totally apply also for those who do not have children. So I think the golden hours piece around the 30-minute mark is a really powerful thing, as well as we talk about the two questions I want to ask all of my interviewees going forward. She's going to tell us what doubts and resistance she faced as she made this awesome career shift and just in general in her life. And she also is going to tell us what she would say to someone just starting out and what she recommends based on her experience. So I'm so excited to bring you guys this first episode. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Erin, for being here. Thank you for having me, Jess. I'm so excited. Yay. Okay. So why don't we get started by talking about your background, how you got to where you are, because a lot of people see you as this super established, prolific blogger and founder for the Clementine Daily, but they may not know how this all kind of came about. Yes. Um, gosh, well, I, I feel like my, my blogging story starts way back in like 2001, the early days of Zanga, if you will. I mean, but even called blogging. I've just, I've always used blogging as an outlet for my writing. I think it's um, a very foolproof way to just get your thoughts out on, on virtual paper. So I've been a blogger um, since high school. I, I loved it. I always used that as a, as a creative outlet for myself. In 2006, I was a copywriter at a boutique ad agency in Los Angeles. The long story short, the art director had kind of a, um, a nervous breakdown at work. He quit on the fly. We had a client deadline due the next day. So I raised my hand to take his place. Had no idea what I was doing. I went home and furiously Googled how to be an art director 101. I mean, I just didn't, I, I had nowhere to start. In that initial Google search, just uncovered this, you know, wealth of design and really incredibly gifted, talented artists from around the world, and um, it really kind of opened my eyes to design as a viable career path. I was born and raised in a very small town in Indiana. Both of my parents were teachers. Both of my older sisters went into the medical field. So creativity as a, as a job wasn't something that I was familiar with. Um, and it wasn't until that, you know, 
lonely night emailing and Googling that I even realized that, um, that it was a thing, that design was this thing. So I started Design for Mankind actually just as a way to communicate my ideas for clients. Um, this was before, you know, Pinterest or visual bookmarking. So it just really made sense to have all of my inspiration in one place so I could access it from my home computer, at work, anywhere that I was. And from there, you know, it, I, I was getting readers coming to the site um, that were also Googling design information and typography and graphics. And um, I figured, well, gosh, there are there are readers here listening to what I have to say. I should say something of, of value. So I have a marketing background. I graduated um, double major in telecommunications and communication studies with um, minor emphasis in media relations and marketing. So I, I felt really compelled to share some of that information with these artists that I was meeting to kind of help them establish themselves as entrepreneurs as well. I think we were all kind of in this ship together. We were learning how we could use the internet to better promote our work. Um, I'm not an artist myself, but I really became very passionate about providing a voice and an outlet to, um, to many artists around the world. So anyway, that's kind of where Design for Mankind formed. And, you know, I, I think as is everyone's blogging story, the growth happened very organically. Um, it seemed like the more that I shared, the more readers came to the site, um, the more personal that reflections that I offered, um, which was really difficult. I'm a very private person. So it was as a, it took a long time to find that balance of what I was comfortable with. Yeah. How did you find that by chance? I think that's a great topic that a lot of people probably struggle with, especially when they're just starting out is where their line is for that kind of blend of you versus your content. Where do you find that line for yourself? Absolutely. I, you know, I think, um, I think I've learned it, it changes so often, uh, before it was, I mean, I never write about our marriage. I never write about my husband. I write a little bit about my daughter now. And I think, um, that's really where, where my, the big privacy conversations conversation started with me was, um, how much of her story is mine to tell? Yeah, that's a great question. How did you find that line or has it shifted? Because I've seen a lot of um, bloggers out there with children shift that line over time as their ch- child gets older. Have you started it in one place and moved it to another? No, actually, I, I had a lot of conversations with my husband when I was um, when I was pregnant because we knew it was an issue that would creep up. And we decided we're not going to share her name online. We're very particular about the photos that we post. We... I personally have decided I will share her story until she can share her own, whether that means even when she starts to color and draws her family and talk. I think that when she starts talking and when she forms more of a personality, it's going to be very easy for me to encourage her to document her own life with intention if she chooses, you know, and if she does, then that's okay too. And I'll keep my own journal for her private. Um, but journaling is something that I've always done, so, but I, I don't think that it necessarily needs to be shared online for me um, and, and for her. I really want to be very, very cognizant of that. So um, yeah, my personal rule is until she can or wants to start sharing her own story, um, then I think that the baton is passed and, and my job is done. No, that's really smart. I think that's great. And it, it also kind of gives me this idea of one day, maybe she has her own blog where, where she's sharing her story um, yeah. if she chooses in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So with this, I mean, you've created a really astounding following with Design for Mankind. How did that 
part of your life kind of, or did it at all influence Clementine Daily and what sparked Clementine Daily for you, the new website that you've founded recently? Gosh, yes. Uh, it, it's so much stemmed from Design for Mankind. I knew, um, I, I think one of the things uh, that was a big struggle for me at Design for Mankind was design, uh, since since my art directing days in LA, um, I my husband's father became ill. We moved to the Midwest. We relocated, um, decided to completely quit the rat race of Los Angeles. We didn't want work to um, create our story anymore. So we uh, slowed down as a family. We slowed down personally. Uh, We started our own family. We had a baby. And I quickly realized that design was no longer at the core of my passion. I love it. I'm very interested in it. But um, but finding myself researching different avenues of design and, and staying up with those trends was no longer something that I wanted to devote my hours away from my child to. I can totally relate to that, actually, from my own business and career. I did the same thing with my business, Chess LC, and then even most recently with business consulting. I totally get that kind of feeling of what this is is no longer inspiring me going forward. So I need to adjust and make sure that what I'm putting out there is a reflection of who I am now and most truly. Is that kind of where you're at? Absolutely. And I think that it, that's the beauty of the online space is that it, you, it really can evolve with you as a person. And it's, it's difficult, I mean, from a branding perspective to communicate that um, without making it seem like you're no longer supporting the, the, the community that you've established. Yeah, because they want one thing. They came to you for one thing, and now you're shifting that thing. Have you found that to be difficult? You know, um, my, oh gosh, I'm, I feel very blessed with the, the, the readers and the community that, that are alongside of me. So no, I mean, I think that they were very understanding. Um, I know that when I kind of announced that I was going to start slow blogging and no longer um, becoming, I mean, I, I, I don't really, sometimes it's hard for me to consider myself a blogger because I don't have an editorial calendar on design for mankind or design for many kind. I just, you know, really pop in when I'm inspired to write. I think it's I think it's wonderful if you do I, I I love design bloggers. I love design. I love checking in every now and then. But it was just no longer something that inspired my daily life. It started to feel like they were two different people. Like there was Aaron the design blogger and then there was Aaron the person twenty three other hours of the day. Well, I should really say eighteen other hours of the day. I was just going to say, if you're only spending one hour on that site, I would be surprised because <laughs> I know how long it can take. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it took a little more time than that, but, um, I think they've been really, really understanding. And I think from that, um, you know, there was, the, there was the weird separation of work Aaron versus personal Aaron. And from that, I decided, you know what, I, I really miss blogging all of the time. I just need to find a subject matter that's more applicable to my life now, which really is, um, I'm, I'm, I've always been a firm believer in the everyday. And I think that there's something beautiful about looking back at your life and not remembering the super crazy big celebration and and the the glitz and glamour of the big moments. Um, gosh, I don't even remember a lot about my own wedding and it was eight years ago. So I, I, I think life is really in the details. It's really in the everyday and what you choose to make of that. Um, and I wanted to personally strive to become more grateful of a person and, and to really embrace the, the smaller moments. Did you find it difficult as a design blogger to feel that gratitude and slow down? Was that a part of what kind of sparked that? Or is that just always maybe part of where you came from, especially coming from LA and moving to Indiana? Is that at all in part because of blogging or no? 
Um, you know, I think that's who I've always been. I've always um, really strived to to be appreciative of what I have, and um, and I think that that's still possible as a design blogger, as even as someone a creative working in the design industry. But it was very difficult for me, for some reason, to compartmentalize that to to not crave the things that I was spending so much time um, uncovering. You know. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. That's what I was imagining is like when you're looking at stuff all day, does that make it hard to appreciate what you have? Because you're looking at the things you don't. You're looking at what's next and what's new. Yeah, it was, it was, it started to become hard for me. Um, and I've always, I'm a huge budgeter. I mean, my husband and I are crazy. We, we love to budget. So it was never an issue of me purchasing those things, but it did it just kind of sit under your skin for a little bit and, and you notice well, gosh, you know, I, I, eventually I would love to upgrade my sofa or eventually I would love this. And when really, you know what, my sofa is perfect. I've got my two dogs and my husband on it. That's what I mean. I, I wanted Clementine Daily to be this place where I could embrace that every day on a, on a smaller scale. And I actually still, it, it's a very hard balance to communicate because I love finding ways to embrace personal style. You know, I, I'm very, my home is very, um, quirky for this area. And, you know, people come over and they're like, why do you have all white walls? Where's the color? And it's just very monochromatic because it's what I love. It's been a, it's, it's been an interesting balance to find, um, you know, here is a space that I would still love to talk about these things. I would still love to talk about style and beauty and, and food and wellness, but it's more, um, I would prefer to frame it in a way that kind of lowers the expectations on women and really just invites them into this conversation if they are particularly passionate about it. I never want it to be a standard for women. I don't want it to be a place where you go to feel like you absolutely have to have these 10 amazing blazers that we found for you. It's just here are here are some options. If you're looking for a blazer, we have shopped for you. We've taken it away. Um, if you're not in the market for a blazer, skip it. Don't you know? Don't even spend time on this. So um, I, I I've really been enjoying. We have some amazing writers at Clementine Daily, so I really have been enjoying kind of the the multifaceted presence that it, that it has in my life, where I can go there, and I'm I'm so inspired by just our own staff, and I can just glean ideas on, gosh, here are amazing ways to say no during crazy stressful times when you're getting a million invites, like the holidays in particular, when you're, we've, we've just come off the holiday season. And, um, it's, it's been a really great place to embrace those tips that I think I'm seeking in my own personal life. So essentially I'm looking for the website that I wish existed for me. No, I love that. And one of the things that's a big shift from Design for Mankind to Clementine Daily is all of the editors, like the editorial breadth that you're kind of now manning the ship rather than writing the post. Was there a uh, transition? Was that important for you as maybe part of the slow blogging part where you wanted to be putting less of your own daily content? Is that part of this or did you just want to give the voice to these people or what was that decision like? You know, um, gosh, First of all, that has just been a crazy transition for me. I'm not a, a gifted manager of people. Um, I, I'm, I'm too much of a, here, do whatever you want. Um, I trust you. And I do. I trust my writers implicitly. But, you know, putting on my manager hat has been very difficult. Um, so I have a wonderful associate editor that is in track of, she keeps track of deadlines and, and editorial angles. And, and she's 
unbelievable. And I think the I think the main reason for the editorial shift has been I I want to going forward maintain my privacy and and it's hard for me to write passionately about things that I'm not and not and not put my voice in that. It's very hard and I I think we have selected some writers that um were feeling kind of the same things that I was feeling when I started Clementine Daily, which was, you know, we are a lot more than what our focus is. We are a lot more than design. We're a lot more than beauty. We're a lot more food. And they were really feeling that push to talk openly in a broader space about, you know, what makes our everyday sweeter, what makes women wonderful, fearless creatures. And I've been, it's it's been really inspiring to collect that rather than um, than to make that, if that makes sense. I've always loved curating and I feel like that's what I get to do is I get to curate different voices and, and then I get to, you know, pop in and write the edit- editor's letters and I get to write whatever I feel particularly inspired to write. Yeah. You get to be the art director, just like your first job. I really, yeah, working with, I work with an amazing photographer. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun wearing a lot of different hats and, um, I get to try on the different hats that I think make a blog, which has been really exciting. I think too, um, it's interesting how blogging has so many different parts that you forget about and I get to engage all of those different parts. And so it's been very particularly helpful that I think I've been blogging for so long and so many of the, the behind the scenes, the programming and the templates and the layouts and the newsletters, you know, all of that really comes into play, even social media. Um, so it's just kind of on a larger scale. So I really, I think Clementine Daly's good for me personally. I can, I can protect my privacy, but still do what I love to do. I love that. Okay. So now I want to move on and talk more about Erin behind the scenes, behind the curtain. So on your blog a few months ago, you shared about your trip to Ethiopia, which looked amazing, by the way, really, really incredible. And in one of your posts, you wrote about how your muscles or our muscles in general atrophy when we do the same thing each and every day. And that also, you kind of translated that idea to the atrophy of our habits. By doing the same thing in our habits every day, we like lose that muscle strength because it becomes automatic and less conscious. Um, are there any habits, because you know we're looking at 2014 right now, that you're working on your life that you're trying to avoid the atrophy? Oh, gosh, yes. So I, I'm just a complete creature of habit. I, I'm a homebody. I love routine. I love habit. Same here. I'll eat the same like nachos every week for dinner if I was allowed to. Um. <laughs> I have the same thing for breakfast every day. I mean, I just, I love the mundane, which is, is partly why the, the every day is so inspiring to me because I, I do the same thing every day. So, um, yeah, so it, I think um, having a kid was really particularly helpful in this arena, but I've, I've really been trying to be more intentional about seeking out adventures. Oh, I love that. I love that you call them adventures, by the way. What is an adventure for Oh, you? gosh. I mean, I use that term very loosely. I mean, it could be even just going on a trip to gather to the grocery, to gather really wholesome ingredients to make a, an incredible new dip or, you know, just something that trying something new for dinner or um, trying something that takes a little bit more time but might be more enjoyable because I'm working with my hands or... Um, doing things the long way every now and then. I mean, what does that mean? What is doing things the long way? Well, gosh, I mean, uh, just recently when the weather's cold here now, so it's been harder, but, um, we, this summer and in the fall 
started to use our car less. And so we were taking more trip, more bike trips and we would take more walks to, to, you know, friends' houses and it, it took longer, but it was just so, I feel like it was odd how we carved out more time, you know, by, by taking the long, because I felt relaxed in the process. You know, it was, I wasn't driving behind a steering wheel trying to go fast and get there as soon as I could. You were present. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that I feel like, um, people talk about where you, you kind of get in the flow of working with your hands and doing things that you, that you take for granted. Um, so, I mean, I've been like hand drying my clothes, hand washing a lot more clothes, um, not necessarily from an ecological standpoint, but just because it's, it's fun to, to do things, to think about what you're doing, you know, instead of just throwing something in the, in the laundry and having it done automatically. Wow. That is, oh, I have to say, Erin, you have got me on that one. I don't know that I could personally strive for that one, at least not at this point, but I have to hand it to you. That is a really amazing place to add that intention to your life, to add that consciousness. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> it's been weird. I mean, it's weird, but it's it's been fun. And I certainly don't do it every day. There are some days that are busier than others, but um, I found that it's it's the better way. And, and I think it it's fun teaching my daughter those things. I mean, she's only like 16, 17 months, but you know, it, it's different when you're like, okay, here's, she enjoys helping with those things. Whereas, I mean, sure. She loves to push the buttons of a, of a laundry machine, but it's fun for her to sit on the sink with me and to, you know, dip the sweaters and you should just have a great time. In my head, I have like an anthropology, like video of you <laughs> washing your, <laughs> your clothes in this really serene environment, <laughs> which I'm sure it's not always like that, but I have to say, I'm like super inspired. Like that is maybe not something I'm specifically going to reach for personally, but I'm going to aspire to the idea of that in another way. I love that. So is that something you're looking for in 2014 specifically to keep doing more of? Is there any other? Um, I like that also, it must be a little more difficult to do the walks to the friends' houses and stuff, but and with the colder weather coming on. But is there any other with your hands or slow, you know, habits that you're looking for for 2014? I mean, I don't know that this is slow or working with my hands, but um, we've, and my husband and I have definitely made um, an effort to travel more and to seek different perspectives. And um, we're actually in the process of adopting a little boy. <gasps> oh my gosh, really? Uh, yes, yes. So, um, I mean, just that itself has, um, has really you know, um, we're, we're very, very thoughtful about the process and, um, it's really expanded. I mean, we, we have to think about what we want for our future family. And, um, it's, that's not a, it's not a one-time thing for me that, that means we have a forever connection to his country. So, you know, carving out, saving for future trips to Africa back and forth so that we can teach, teach be my daughter's, um, different, you know, different ways to kind of infuse that, that culture in our own home and, so um, that's been a really kind of fun project that I think that we're really focused on for 2014 is just um, finding small ways to really embrace that culture and to learn a lot more about it than we than we had realized. Was that at all inspired by the Ethiopia trip? Um, no, actually, but it was a, a big reason that I decided to go. Um, my husband, this is funny, on one of our first few dates um, had said, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to be adapting from Ethiopia or... <laughs> he said that on a date? Yeah, I know. He's very... Oh, my God. <laughs> um, he, or Kenya, because he had visited Kenya as a, um, a teenager and filmed a documentary there. So um, he's he has always been very connected to the country. And it's um, 
it's so uh, just the people are, are really amazing. The people of, I've only met the people from Kenya and from Ethiopia. Um, and I, I think they just are particularly inspiring. So for my husband, um, it was really always on his agenda. And for me, I was like, Hey, slow down. Like, yeah, I was going to say, what did you say when he said that? Did you like choke on your soup or something? <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we have a, um, non-traditional relationship and that we were just, you know, connected from the beginning. But yeah, it, it was a little scary at first. And um, he was really patient with me and gave me a lot of time. We realized after we had our first daughter that, um, yeah, that we would certainly, we could love any child. So it was a, a very, um, it, it's it's a great option for our family and we're, we're so excited. But I think that um, going there personally just really sealed the deal for me. I can imagine. Actually, it's so funny you're saying this because now this is obviously we, my husband and I are not actually actively trying to have children right now, but we've totally discussed the idea of trying to have our own, at least, you know, one, but also the idea of also adopting. So kind of having that merging of, you know, natural birth and adoption. So I love that you're doing that. And I'm so excited. I'll get to kind of see from afar (laughs) how this is going for you, because that's exactly what he and I have discussed um, to some degree. But again, like I said, it's it's not right now an active plan, but it's something we're contemplating. And I love that you're doing that. Has it? What's been the most difficult part of the process so far? Oh gosh, um, we're in this such the beginning stages, but I really think choosing our agency was the hardest part. There's a lot of trust built there. Uh, there can be a lot of corruption with international adoption, so it's very important to us that um, we trusted our agency implicitly and knew that the child that we would be bringing into our home actually needed a home and it wasn't, you know, I mean, it, I, I think that adoption is often romanticized and it's, it's really, um, it can be, it can be very corrupt if, if not, if you're not very thoughtful about the process. And it's, I also don't want to make it sound scary either because it's, it's not, I think there are a lot of agencies that are doing a lot of good. So, um, the hardest part for me really was selecting the agency. Um, and then the rest is really, I mean, and I'm so in the beginning that I don't even know what to expect, but the rest has just been a lot, a lot of paperwork. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. And I'm really thankful you talked about the agency thing in the corruption. Cause I would never have even assumed that would have been something to think about. So now I think I'm a little bit more aware if we do go down that path to know what to expect. So thank you for that. Okay. So now I want to go back to the habit side of things and touch on another thing you've shared, because I think your, you know, mission in life and online is rather similar to my own with what I try to do with um, life with intention. So one of the things you've also shared on your site is about non goals. So goals that you want to continue having and carrying forward. So it's not just about creating a new you in the new year. It's also about carrying on the great growth that you've had in 2013. Do you have any on goals for 2014? Um, yeah, you know, I think that, um, yeah, it really, I'm just really all about lowering the expectations in general. I love that. What does that mean? Lowering the expectations? Gosh, I'm just, I'm a really fairly lazy, lazy person. I would hardly say you're lazy. You're adopting a second child. You have a huge website, a huge media presence, and you hand wash your clothes. I would just, I'm just going to (laughs) say. Oh gosh. No, I mean, and I certainly do not do that every day, but I think that I, if, if there is a shortcut to be found, I would love to find it. I mean, I just, I'm not opposed to on the particularly hairy days, you know, going to Chick-fil-A for my family, like whatever, you know? So I think that, um, 
for me, a non-goal is just a way to um, take a second and kind of pat yourself on the back for the things that you are doing because it is it feels very overwhelming to make a list of things that you're doing wrong and that you want to do better um, because I feel like we're already doing a great job. I mean, life is really hard. It's, it's tricky and there's a lot to navigate and there's a lot of relationships. And I think that women in general are you know, we're caretakers and, and we're really thoughtful about the people around us and oftentimes aren't setting aside enough time for ourselves and for our own needs. And I think that um, non-goals for me are a way to do that. So for me personally, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing, a, we're doing a really great job, um, my husband and I, of communicating in terms of carving time to have conversations while baby rearing. Um, we're in a really intense stage of a very fast toddler. And, um, it's crazy in here. I mean, and we have to choose, do we want to clean up the house and wipe the ketchup off the walls tonight? Or do we want to sit down, have a glass of wine and have a conversation? And, um, we're choosing the latter, I think more often than not. I mean, the ketchup is cleaned up eventually. So it's, it's, I think we're doing a great job of, of really connecting and putting our marriage first. And that's very important to me. Um, I think that, we've struck a really good time management balance. I think just logistics wise, um, that was a really tricky thing. We're both freelancers. So we have a flexible schedule, but with that, it's, it's really hard to set those boundaries um, and to define who needs how much time to work on their projects. Because you, you, know, you don't want to be greedy and say, I need 10 hours when the other when your partner is then with the baby for 10 hours and vice versa. Do you, wait, here, I want to stop you here. So it sounds like these have gone really well. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering exactly how you do it to kind of get inspiration for themselves. Do you have any tips to share there about how to connect at the end of the long day or how to share child rearing while you're freelancing? Yes. For me, we, we did this completely the wrong way first. Um, my husband's a night owl and I'm a morning person. So it seemed natural that since B has been a newborn, he would take kind of a night shift and then I would take a morning shift. B certainly does still not sleep through the night. She's totally crazy. So we are not good advocates for sleep training if you're looking for advice there. But um, so we're, we're still really trying to figure that out. But but in the beginning, it was, okay, well, Ken will take the night shift with, with B, and I will take the morning shift. Um, but we failed to realize that his golden hours, and I, I don't know, I use the term golden hours. I, I learned it from my brilliant friends, Christine and Asha. But um, it, golden hours are the hours that you work the best. They're the hours where you're at your peak and you're most focused and you're most attentive. And we were using those hours on the very, I, this sounds horrible, but in the early days, um, babyhood is very mundane. You're kind of just taking care of an elevated plant. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of personality yet and it's, it's very physical. It's a chore in, in those really early days. So we got into the habit of, okay, I'm a morning person. I can wake up with her and Ken's a night owl. He can stay up with her. Totally great. And then we just kind of fell into that pattern um, without realizing that we were soaking up our most productive time with her. So just recently, um, and and I don't want to I, I don't want to make it sound like like parenting isn't productive because it is. Um, but there was always this urge to multitask when I had her because I was thinking at that hour, you know, 
it, it would be 10 a.m. and I would be like thinking and, and trying to, you know, do a million other things and, and feed her breakfast and clean up. And, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't productive because, because I was feeling productive. So we switched. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I shower. I go to the coffee shop. I sneak out before she wakes up and I'm usually home. Um, I can carve out a good, you know, six, seven hours. And I, I'm finding that I'm doing more in that less time frame because I'm more focused. So I'm home by noon, maybe one, sometimes two if it's a really heavy work day. And then I still have the whole rest of the afternoon, evening to be a mom. You know, I get to, and I'm, I'm a big fan of compartmentalizing. So I have to actually leave the house to get my work done. So yes, I am too. Some people are integrators, which is where they want to have their life. They want to make their, you know, laundry run and have a meeting at the same time. And there are segmenters and it sounds like you and I are segmenters. We like to have that clear line of division between what we're working on. Yes, which was really tricky. You know, I, before then when I was taking the morning shift, you know, I'd start work at noon. I would be kind of mentally exhausted from chasing the baby around. And then um, and then I'd have to work until like six and I wasn't really getting that much done. And by six, you know, I'm hungry. I don't have time to make dinner. So I'm going to grab fast food on the way home. I mean, it's just, it, it was, it was a very, the, things weren't quite falling into place. So for my husband, my husband and I, we just had to sit back and, and realize we are our most productive now. Let's kind of savor those hours and let's protect the, those hours, get our work done during that time. And then it's great. I can come home. I can have lunch with my husband and with my baby. And then we kind of switch shifts and he goes and does renovation work or he'll work on editing a video or, um, you know, things like that. And then we regroup at dinner and, after she goes to bed, you know, we've got time. I mean, I go to bed really, really early because I'm up early, but. What time do you go to bed? I'm always curious about the, the get up, the, the mornings and the evenings for people. My dream bedtime would be eight o'clock. Maybe <laughs> doesn't go down. She goes down maybe 730. So I like to maybe decompress for like an hour with a husband. So I, I try to be in bed by like 930. Oh, I love that. Gosh, I strive. I strive for that. I rarely get there, but I love that you're doing it. And hopefully it's going to help me to remind myself like Aaron's asleep right now. <laughs> I should be asleep. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it helps that I just, I don't check my email when I'm home. I, I'm not like me. Email is for coffee shop time. And then when I'm home, I'm fully home. I love that. Oh, you do that all afternoon. I love that. I do nights and weekends. I'm a huge advocate for no email nights and weekends. But I love that you even do that in the afternoons because for you, you're home, you know, between one and five when a lot of emails are coming in and out. I love that you don't do that. Have you ever found it to be a problem? It's hard. It's hard. And I, I certainly make exceptions. Um, sometimes my associate editor will call for Clemente Daily and she knows then to call if it's something that's urgent. And in that case, you know, you know, I, I work calls, but I mean, that's, I work in a field that, I mean, it's not life or death. There's rarely anything crazy urgent happening. So, um, I, I try really hard to set boundaries. And the beauty of that is gosh, at 5am, nobody's emailing you. So you're catching up on your inbox and you're able to just plow through much quicker because there's nothing incoming. You know, it's, it's, it's been a really great schedule shift for me. Oh, I love it. I actually totally am going to steal that when I am in that situation because I'm a morning person as well. And I could totally see my, like the idea of being able to be done at two, like that's when I start doing less 
logical. Like I write best in the morning. So I'll spend my time always working on that kind of stuff. And my productivity and my focus leaves. It like kind of saps out of me in the afternoons. So I love the idea of being able to just give myself that break from the business thinking and like the really nuanced levels of whatever I need to do and just be present in doing that stuff that's not quite as intellectually demanding with my family. That's a of saying it intellectually demanding because then you get, I mean, then you get to play with your kid, you know, you get to play and you can go explore and we go for walks and um, then we come in and we do chores and I am raising my hand saying that I put on the TV for a half hour while I make dinner. That's we do. And it's, um, it's great. It's, it's been a really great balance. Okay. Thank you, Erin. You've now helped me to see, not only do I need to adopt a child and know about the agencies, but now I also yeah. need to be aware of like when it's possible to work. Cause I've, I've been honestly a little bit stumped by that idea of how do I like, let alone childcare during that time. Cause at this point, my husband's working a rather nine to five job. So he's not around, but even if I did get childcare, I love the idea of that morning time being my own when I'm most productive and then being home in the evenings or the afternoons rather. Oh, I love, thank you. I feel a little bit better about being a mom eventually (laughs) and knowing how that could work. Now I want to shift forward to something that I really want to kind of incorporate in most of the interviews and topics that I cover going forward, um, because I think it's so amazing for listeners to hear these amazing stories told by these people that have done a lot and have accomplished and overcome, but really sometimes it looks a little bit easy because they can see the shiny exterior. Now you haven't obviously painted it that way, but it sometimes is from the outside in especially online, it can look like things are easy, but there are, everyone faces doubts and resistance to anything that they do. And so one of, and that's actually, I think one of definitive characteristics of people that are successful and whatever their ultimate aim is, is they're able to overcome the resistance they face towards making a change in whatever area of their lives. So I would love to ask you, what doubts or resistance have you had to overcome? And you can kind of gather on wherever it's been hard for you. It doesn't have to be specifically Clementine Daily or the blog, but what kind of things have you had to overcome throughout this process? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the transition with Clementine Daily has been the hardest for me because um, I had to shift from you know managing my own self, which has never been hard. I love to work and I love to uh, produce content and I love, I, I love to meet deadlines. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of productivity. And, um, so it's been hard. I've just been used to the way that I work and, um, I, I've never been a procrastinator and I've, I, I never, I just, I really, really enjoy kind of being ahead of the ball if I can be. And I know that not everyone works that way now. I mean, because some people are, are inspired by the last minute. You know, some people do their best work at the very last minute. And that makes me so nervous um, because I'm a planner. So it's been really hard to, to manage other people's workflow and other people's efficiency and, and manage expectations. And, you know, you, you live in, I feel like I live inside my head 90% of the time. So I've had to like, to come out and, and realize how I'm, uh, learn how to communicate and learn how to verbalize my expectations. 
Yeah. So is the resistance for you when you're sharing there? I'm trying to kind of piece it apart so that um, it could be more universally understood. So it sounds like the resistance you're feeling really comes from you are used to doing things one way and you're very on top of things. And it's not usually difficult for you to get stuff done. But when it's in someone else's hands, you struggle with how to communicate to them what you want from them and also understand that they have that same. So it's kind of that patience in a point, not that you're impatient, but just that part. And also, yeah, how you're perceived as you're kind of being that leader. Is that the difficult? Exactly. I think um, learning how to be a gracious leader and learning, learning when to set boundaries and when to say, you know what? Okay. This, this is just not quite going to work. This isn't a good fit. I am, I'm such a a people pleaser. I'm such a, a kumbaya. I want everybody to get along. Well, you're a very deep, sensitive person. I mean, just seeing the Clementine Daily, I was at the launch party, and just to see your care and love for that group and what you've created with them, I can imagine that must be very difficult. It is, and I've just learned I'm not, I'm not, it's not an area necessarily that I even want to come out of, I guess. I guess that's really been the the struggle is learning, you know what, I don't want to be a great manager of people, um, I just want to care for that. You know, like I, I'm not, I'm not. Their taskmaster. You're like their, you're their mother of the group. Yeah. And I, I think um, learning that I don't want my role in Clement Ideally to be that. I don't want it to be gripping every detail. You know, I, I rather enjoy kind of overseeing the mission and checking in with the editors and see how they're doing personally. I mean, that's what I love about, about being a team member is, is supporting the team. And I feel like I can't, um, I never found a good way to strike that balance of one day asking how someone's mother is doing. And then the next day saying you didn't meet your deadlines. This is your last chance. So, and I'm certainly giving fair. I'm, these aren't even specific issues that we've had to deal with, but I think just that the very day-to-day managing of other people and trying to learn how to balance my love for them and my respect for them as creators and as people and what, what to do when it's just not a good fit and how to communicate that without there being hard feelings. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm I'm much, I think I'm much too sensitive of a person to be able to step aside and realize what's good for the business versus what's good for the person. I'm always going to put the person's interest first, which makes me a really poor manager. So, um, it's, that has been really hard. I've had to develop a very thick skin. And um, I don't know that I want a thick skin. You want to play to your strengths. And I think what you've done is brilliant by bringing on the manager as your managing editor. That's brilliant. Um, have you ever read Emith Revisited? No, but I'm going to. Okay, you need to. Erin, you need to read it. Emith Revisited will totally help illuminate what you're kind of, you're hitting your head against the wall on these things and like just butting into them. Trust me, my entire life, I feel like everything I've been able to help people with is just something I've hit my head against the wall with. So I'm like a pro, like I've got a really thick skull at this point from doing all these things. But I will tell you, you will feel so much calmer and more aware and also realize how wise the decisions you are now because of hitting your head against the wall and the actions you're taking to create this manager relationship and you as the founder, really what that's coming down to is explained in the E-Myth Revisited. So um, for any other people out there listening that are running their own businesses and are struggling with the managing of the output of a business, like what you're actually creating, the managing of the orders or the business 
day-to-day activities as well as the future opportunities and overall direction. Those are three different personalities that rarely does the person in the the solo entrepreneur or the CEO have implicitly split evenly across their personality. So it's very rare that you're going to find yourself as equally technician, manager, and entrepreneur. And what you've realized is you're playing to your strength. You are the entrepreneur. You're the vision seeker, your community and culture. You know, you're there to set those tones, but the managing of the day-to-day activities is not yours. It's not your, you don't, have you're very I think probably tilted towards um, technician because obviously you can take that role and get things done throughout your career but also you're very good at seeing what the horizon is and what the ultimate aim is and, and creating that culture the managing spot is your weakness because you can manage yourself but the exterior side of it is just not your strength because it also requires that other side which you don't want to develop so what you've done is you've built the triangle they call it like a triangle and it needs to be a pretty equilateral triangle you know, relatively speaking, in order to be balanced, in order for the business to move forward and grow, to continue to maintain what's going on, and also to get stuff done in the technician role. So yeah, you've brought this, you've brought this in, you've done exactly the right thing. And I think that your gut has led you. I know it's been harder to like realize it because you're just hitting your head against the wall rather than someone saying explicitly, you can totally do that. And that's a really smart thing. Don't change yourself, just hire it out. So that book will confirm everything you've learned. (laughs) Thank you. Good to know. I'm totally going to read it. And I think, I think though, I think this all just kind of speaks to what you said. It's, it, it looks very glossy, shiny on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot of nervous breakdowns and tears when you realize that you're not good at what you thought you would be good at. Well, you are good at what you're good at. You just thought you would be taking on a part of the business that's not yours. Yes. And you're giving that part back to the business and letting it come from within because you've built such a large, you know, you have a structure that can support that. Yeah, no. And, and I think too that that, I mean, is a, is a wonderful segue into, into the fact that we need other people, you know? Yeah. It's actually, actually, that's a great, that is a great segue. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, um, I mean, support and in the community around me has been just so key and helping me stay afloat. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I call our associate editor and I'm like, thank you for keeping me afloat. Thank you for keeping me I mean, she's just, she's just has so many brains. So I think it's really important to invest in the people around you as much as it is to invest in yourself. I love that. Okay. So that's totally going into this Melissa question. I have a feeling, so we'll get there in a second. Here's another thought I want to also kind of create as a, as a part of this um, podcast going forward. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? Now that may be, you know, you've obviously done many things over the course of your career, but if you could kind of put yourself in your shoes of maybe one of um, the potential listener or you know, the people that look up to you, what would you tell them if they're just starting out? You know, I always hear people say, um, do what you're passionate about. And I think that um, that's really, really great advice. Um, I always thought that meant, uh, I've, I've always looked at passions as kind of interest projects, like things that you're kind of doing because you're into at the moment. So I'm into knitting. I'm really passionate about knitting. That's my thing. I think they're less, I think they're less action-based and they're more just whatever is woven in your inner being. And I think that that's what you need to do. I think you need to look really hard about what are, what are you, when are you at your calmest? When are you feeling most at peace? And when, and what does that look like at, on a grand scale, like throughout your entire life, you know, what did you do as a child and what do you love to do now and how is that different and who do you love to surround yourself with? I mean, I think that 
had I taken, had I look at th- looked at things from the top down, yes, I'm passionate about design, but, and I think that's a question to always ask yourself, but, you know, like, what else could there be um, that will really keep you invested for the long haul? Because I don't work in the design field, you know, there's really nothing that keeps me tethered to that when really it was just my day job and then my outside interests. And then from there, it was really that I kept going because I felt inspired by the community that I was in. I still feel inspired. I love to support them in other ways when it comes to starting my own family and setting my own roots. What do I want? What kind of tree do I want to make? You know what I mean? Like what, what, what do I want to grow? Yeah. What's your legacy? Exactly. I think legacy is a great place to start. Now I want to get to a reader question. Melissa has asked two questions to you. They're kind of related. So we'll start with the first and we'll move on to the second. The first was, what investments would you recommend for up-and-coming bloggers, editors, or business owners? Oh, gosh. Um, I I would absolutely invest in your education. Um, find a mentor for sure. I've had many in my life. Um, and, nev- and it doesn't have to be a formal mentor relationship, really. I think it's great to have a formal relationship. How did you find them, if you don't mind me asking? You know, my first was um, in college in an internship. She was just this amazing, gifted filmmaker and communicator. She was a great communicator, and I was really inspired by the way that she illustrated her ideas and the way that she inspired the people around her and the way that she was just this very, very constructive person. You know, even to this day, I I think about, you know, how would Laura phrase this? How would she word this? How would she? I think the words are very powerful and she was very mindful of that. You know, I think finding a mentor now is just as simple as as sending an email. I also find reading great thought leaders and reading their books and getting this peek into their brains is also a huge way to get mentorship in a way that I think a lot of people lately don't take as seriously. I love that you had mentioned education, by the way. I think that can look like a lot of reading on topics as well as, you know, live events and educational opportunities like workshops that are available now, because those things can totally help you expand your horizons and perspectives and even sometimes foster those mentorship relationships you're speaking to as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any other investments you would recommend beyond education and mentorship? Um, No, but I think too, on the education aspect, I think it's important to think I, I've always been a very curious person. I'm very interested in a lot of things. And it's amazing how looking back, pursuing those interests have been vital to my business. Um, I, I'm not a graphic designer, but I've always been interested in it. So I taught myself Photoshop and, um, and it's not hard. It's just a matter of Google, a matter of Googling, you know, it's getting the program and maybe having somebody help you if you need it. But that's something you actually mentioned a few times, by the way. I think that is definitely a theme for you is when you first got your art director job, you Googled how to do it. You immediately went to, let's figure out, let's find the resources out there. And I think that speaks to a lot of your, you know, your smarts and your resourcefulness and that seeking education like you just t- talked about. Yeah, I think we take that for granted. I mean, my husband learned how to renovate our entire house on YouTube. I mean, it's just, it's it's right there at our fingertips. I think that it's really important to just pursue those things that you're interested in, even if they don't directly relate to your business, because they probably will down the road. And that's why you're going to read the E-Myth Revisited and feel so much better about everything that's been going on as far as managing and entrepreneurship roles. Okay, so now moving on, what type of resources have helped you out on the path to, you know, Design for Mankind or Clementine Daily Greatness? 
I think aside from, you know, there's the tangible resources and then there's kind of the, the more spiritual. I think that um, my husband, I have to say, has is, is been the most supportive person. Um, even it just logistically, he, he produces so many of our videos. He ran our HGTV.com column. He renovated and, and did the creative videos. I mean, he was just, he's an unbelievable one-man band, um, very inspiring person and also loves to be strategic. So he doesn't mind having, you know, business conversations at the dinner table if, if they come up. So find someone like that in your life. Find a resource that can be your biggest fan. If you don't already have that, um, you need someone that's going to be a cheerleader, but it's, that it's also going to, um, challenge you. And maybe that's not the same person. Maybe it is. I think specifically, um, I read a book called the Renaissance soul. I swear I swear I talk about this book all the time. Have you read it, Jess? No, I haven't heard of it. I'm going to put it on my list. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So this book, um, I've always been, I, I'm sure you can gather this by now, but I've just been this person that's very curious, very inspired by a lot of different things. I follow a ton of different passions. Some, and and I'm, not, I'm not afraid to quit anything that I'm just not into anymore. So I, I used to, my parents completely... I'm sure that I was a lost cause because I would just try something and be like, you know what? I'm over it. I'm done. It's not that I have a hard time finishing projects. I just have a hard time finishing projects I'm not into, which is probably everyone's excuse. The Renaissance Soul taught me that that is just another form of creativity and all of those little tiny moments and passions and interests that, that, are, that are in your past are somehow possibly, if you're intentional about it, are going to form your future. And the Renaissance told, really, soul really taught me that it's okay to be kind of a non-traditional freelancer. You know, it, freelancing is okay, and it's, a, it, it's kind of a new generation. All right. Thank you so much, Erin, for all of your wisdom. This has been so helpful for myself, as you know, with the adoptions and um, the Renaissance soul, as well as I'm sure a lot of readers getting and listeners getting a lot of help understanding, you know, what goes through your life, you know, and how that can help them themselves. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So there you have it, episode number one. I want to thank Erin again for all of her time that she spent with us talking about what was most important to her. And I want to thank you for joining me on this journey of The Lively Show. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, feel free to leave any comments or suggestions on the blog at justlively.com as well as a review on iTunes. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Bye.